2: The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by TagCash. Spend, play, earn, and build a mobile wallet super app for your startup. Go now to hustleshare.com slash tagcash to apply and get your startup's mobile wallet app. Also by Calibre. It's the easiest, most convenient way to get hired. Calibre tailor fits the perfect job for you based on your unique skills. Hire the best people for your company at www.caliber.com and use the promo code HUSTLESHARE. Caliber, where jobs find you. And Chatbot PH, save time and effort for your business. Automate how your team does customer service, marketing, and key redundant processes. All by using a chatbot. Invest in your own chatbot now and use AI to run your business. Go to www.chatbot.ph
3: it might not be apparent, or it might not be uh, kind of slap you in the face. But if you listen to your users and you make that a habit of how you make decisions, prioritize what's important to your user. Mm-hmm. Then it'll it'll help you understand which direction to choose.
2: Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences. But that our hustles are very much alike Now here's your host, Ronster Bae Pyong
1: Welcome to episode 64 of the Hustle Share podcast My name is Ronster and I'm your host We are a proud affiliate of Podcast Network Asia, but before we begin, we'd like to remind you that this podcast contains a lot of adult language, so make sure there are no kids when you're listening to this. Because as we start a brand new year, we're going to be starting with a brand new season of Hustle Share. And to kick things off, we couldn't think of a better guest to start it off with one of the most respected startups in the Philippines, which is none other than Caliber. And today we're going to be having their co-founders, Mr. Paul Rivera and Dexter Ligot-Gordon. And this is going to be one hell of an episode because you're going to be learning a lot. But before that, Dexter and Paul is going to share how they started out as entrepreneurs growing up near Silicon Valley, what their previous hustles were, just like Paul working in Google before, and the skills they acquired that helped them do Calibre now. And then Paul and Dexter is gonna talk about how they eventually ended up working together after they migrated back here in the Philippines. And then they will also talk about the early challenges that they had to encounter, just like the pivots they had to do in letting go of a big chunk of their team early on. And this is where it gets interesting because Paul and Dexter will show us how they were able to pick things up by letting go of a lot of features that they initially had all the way to how they got product market fit. And as usual, stick around till the end because they will share a lot of things that you can apply in your own hustle, like how to pivot, how to rebuild teams, and how to become successful in fundraising for your startup. So if you're ready to learn the hustle behind Calibre, let's begin this episode right now! Now! Welcome to the latest episode of the Hustle Share Podcast. We are finally with them. I've been wa- wanting to get these guys on the show, and but but before we start, it's our season three already. Woo! You know, uh, we're barely a year old. We started this March one last year, and uh, you know that that this is what it basically uh, means. And I couldn't think of better guys to guests on the show, but these guys. So again, welcome to the show, Paul Rivera and Dexter. Gordon, yeah, all right, Ron. of Caliber, woo, <laughs> okay. Welcome to the show,
3: guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And
1: again, thank you for being our platinum sponsor. First of all, I'm gonna plug this first, okay. <laughs> uh, Because and I, I keep bugging Paul like, man, mad props to you. I built two teams already that are quite successful, mm-hmm. built on Caliber. First one was Chatbot PH. I built that from the ground up without Caliber. That ain't even gonna happen. Right? I can't assemble the Avengers without Calibre. So you're that PIM particle machine that, <laughs> okay. that allowed me to do that. Second is Podcast Network Asia. Again, all the talent, the amazing talent that make podcasts came from you guys. So mad props.
3: Well, that's, that's a great compliment.
1: Thank you. Thank you. But before we, we get too carried away and I keep saying, throwing compliments, I always ask this. Guys, what's your hustle?
0: Well, our, our hustle right now is uh, Calibre. Okay. Um, if you don't know Caliber, uh, it's a career mm-hmm. and job matching platform mm-hmm. for almost 3 million young professionals in the Philippines, Indonesia, and uh, very soon,
3: Vietnam.
1: Oh, wow, you're doing Vietnam!
3: Yes, wow. we just announced it first on your podcast. Oh,
1: there you go. What's <laughs> up? So if you're listening to this, the Vietnamese, you can now apply. Again, si yeah, I don't know. Them. But there's apakabar to those Indonesians, by the way. Because a lot, I get a lot of <laughs> applications from Indonesians. In my job, job post, like, are you really sure, guys? Because we're Manila. I don't shortlist them, right? It's like, okay, cool. No, they're, but they're that, cool. That, 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 that just basically shows it works. Right? So, uh, Paul, you mentioned that you know it's it's Caliber, but let's take a step back because before you built Caliber, you had very unique hustles prior, prior to of this. Yes, we and um, we have to ride our hustle share time machine. So let's go ahead and ride that right now. It sounds like magic. Okay, so now we're in the time machine. Let's let's take a step back. What was your first account of hustling that you did? Because you guys didn't grow up here, right? You're born and raised in the Bay Area. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, how what was that? How was it growing up? And were there any inclinations in back then, that that you know, in hindsight, it's like, hey, that was an entrepreneurial thing that I did before.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur yep. or start a business, primarily because I just wanted to make money. There you and, go. <laughs> <laughs>
1: ain't
4: right. no shame in that, right. right?
0: Secure the bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one that I I think really remember was uh, I think we were eighteen or nineteen okay. uh, at Berkeley and oh UC Berkeley uh, UC Berkeley and yeah. I don't know if you remember like a decade ago there were the Live Strong bands like the yellow oh, wow. bands that everyone was wearing wow. so we built our uh, our own band we called it the Bear Bands what uh, okay. so we we made like fifty thousand of those Bear Bands ballers
1: they call, they call here in yeah. the Philippines oh you baller oh you're a baller there.
0: Okay, so we made all of these uh, bands. We spent a few thousand dollars. Okay, but we only probably sold a hundred of them. No uh, way. Yeah, so that uh, kind of business yeah. did not go so well. Because I we think d- I
3: got a, a one or two of those for free. Yeah, <laughs> I, st- I still have about five thousand in my pocket. Or-
0: <laughs> oh
1: shit! Give me that. That's a that's a relic right there.
0: It is. Wow. Um, so that was kind of the first hustle was trying to uh, turn these bear bands into. A business and I think at that time we didn't really understand distribution. Got it. Right. So we made, I think, a really good design, a really mm. good product, but we didn't know how to sell it, right? Mm. We didn't know how to sell it, what channels. You uh, funded
1: it alone too.
0: Uh, I think, yeah, funded it alone. Oh, wow. actually it was uh, uh, the funny story is the, my partner there is a co-founder of Maria Health and CEO of Maria no Health. No way, it's Vince. Vin. Shout so it was, out to you, yeah, Vince. Me and Vince. Uh, wow. We're trying to do the bear bands. That failed and then the next thing that we tried to do uh, was uh, we were trying to sell bathroom sinks and, <laughs> wow, and like, designer toilets wow. on the internet. I, designer I, toilets. I did not
3: know this, Paul. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> we did a big pivot.
1: <laughs>
3: because Bare- <laughs> <laughs> we had wow. a
0: fr- we had a friend that was like importing uh, bathroom sinks, really nice designer bathroom sinks.
1: What is a designer? Ba- what's the difference between a? this a uh, normal bathroom sink in the designer but bi- you bi- know
0: like some of them are like they're flat right okay. or they have a really nice faucet
4: oh, or the materials are really fancy in
1: right.
3: short they don't shake when you uh, they don't shake.
4: wash your hands
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you feel prettier when you're brushing yeah. your teeth you do
0: you do yeah. wow so that uh, we tried that for about 6 months that didn't work okay. um, we were really bad at building websites and then we tried to do another one where we were trying to sell green tea Green uh, on tea on the internet. Wow. Yeah. So Sourced are,
1: out of where? China? Uh, from
0: China, because wow. Vincent's Chinese right Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> as opposed to the Filipino
3: green tea. Oh, yeah. It didn't take off. It didn't take
1: off. Only the daily CD peeps were ruled <laughs> by that and whatnot. But, but okay. for you, Dex, what was your first hustles that you. Because you guys are technically very good friends, and that's what I'll get to it later. Yeah. Um, what were the first inclinations of you being hustling that you recall?
3: You know, it, I I never was kind of like a business hustler. That's my mom, and that's my grandma. My grandma, you know, had a, a store in uh, Cartier Mar here in uh,
4: No way! Basai.
1: Wow! And she
3: was uh, she was selling um, uh, grapes and cigarettes uh, and no,
1: uh,
4: wow. rice right
3: next to what's now all the the designer foot store or uh, footwear store. Right, there. right. My mom's a, a realtor um, wow. selling houses in San Francisco. Those million dollar houses. No well, way. My thing was. I used to get involved in the Filipino-American community with, like, social organizations. Mm -hmm. So when I was 17, I put up my first organization. It was a youth organization in Vallejo with, like, some great mentors there. There's a lot of Filipinos there. Okay. And then in college, I worked with this intercollegiate Filipino organization that headed that. And then after college, I actually put up a... I worked with a community to put up a political organization. Wow. And um, Filipinos, I don't know if anyone else knows this, but... The highest concentration of Filipinos in the world, outside the Philippines, is in California. Yep. But we've never had anyone elected to state office.
4: No our way. Community really? This
3: has been trying for 30 years, and we uh, put up an organization called Kaya, and Kaya. Uh, we broke the glass ceiling for Filipinos to get to elected to state office. And uh, one of our own members, uh, Rob Bonta, he's, he's there now.
1: Wow, that's amazing.
3: So I guess the, the hustle that we had... Uh, that I learned growing up is, well, if you have an idea and a vision, um, how to mobilize people to, to work towards that. Right. Uh, back then, nobody got paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's all volunteer. It's a vocation, per <laughs> yeah, se, right? That's right. And, uh, well, now at least we can afford to pay people. So it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting ballgame. So mm-hmm. being able to move people towards a vision is, I think, uh, the form of hustle. I I, I I never made a lot of money on uh, yeah. anything. I used to work for nonprofits. I worked for government. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my thing is just how do we maximize the, the resources people have and their time and their energy towards something that we want to accomplish together?
1: Okay. But was there, is it fair to assume, because I've had multiple people here to grew up in the States and whatnot, that, you know, as a minority in the States, you know, there's a chip on, chip on your shoulder, right? You said, you mentioned it. there's a glass ceiling. They, some, some people even call it the bamboo ceiling because it's Asian, uh- right? Um, was there a chip on the shoulder to really work harder because opportunities are not upfront but you know California is pretty Filipino already but it was it is that fair to say that all right i got to really prove some things here because nobody's going to hand me anything
3: absolutely i mean for myself i was working in politics i okay. you know i was a uh, uh, I actually held political office in the U.S. No way! And uh, you know when we when we got in there, was the, yeah, I was the first one to hold a statewide uh, official position in uh, education. Like a kagawad? Uh, no. no. <laughs> so Just the, kidding. Yes. <laughs> kagawad. Yeah. It was, uh, I was no barangay tanod. Oh, there. <laughs> walked around with a with a, with a stick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> chasing kids (laughs) i think uh yeah we two things one i had to work hard for myself to Mm. to break the glass ceilings that uh stood before me okay but as uh as filipinos we're trying to figure out what are the glass ceilings that we want to break through Mm. uh in in my instance it was politics before we left we were trying to work on it in tech and uh helping uh mentor students to 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 go from university into the tech industry
0: yep i'll uh kind of share sir when i was uh when we were graduating uh, from Berkeley, yep. applying for jobs, I remember I had an interview uh, okay. with someone and I showed up to the interview. They're like, I thought you were Mexican. Because <laughs> you know, my last, my, Paul Rivera, right? Right, right, right. Um, So I think it was then that like, kind of my eyes opened to the fact that I was probably sending my resumes to a lot of people. right, And they probably didn't want inter- to interview me because maybe
1: they thought I was Hispanic, Mexican-American. Yeah, yeah, they didn't
0: think yeah, I was... Yeah. Uh, Asian. Right? <laughs> you should
1: have just put it open so close. rent, Asian. <laughs> Paul Rivera, open close parentheses. Asian. No, but for real. Um. What after those those instances, right? You guys had really distinct jobs that you know you you were in Mercantia. Um. Again, you said you were in nonprofits and and causes and that that are really community driven, right? But in your next hustles that you did, what were the key things that you guys learned? that helped you to build Caliber? Because that's very important. The first few hustles we build, you know, you, you tried being an entrepreneur right away. They were they were strikes, per se, right? But you need to build up your your portfolio of skills as well to be able to succeed further on down the road. What were those like for you?
0: I guess for me, you know, the, the first uh, job that I had after Berkeley okay. uh, was at Mercantila. Okay. This is 2004, uh, an early e-commerce company. Okay. And, you know, I think uh, that's where I really learned how to be an entrepreneur. The mm-hmm. CEO of that company was 27 years old. Wow. I sat next to him. They were kind of early pioneers in AdWords arbitrage. Shoot. Wow. Um, and if you don't know what Adver- AdWords arbitrage is, is you, you bid on uh, keywords that are underbidded, right? And you mm-hmm. drive traffic to the site. Mm-hmm. And on their site, they were selling dog beds, bunk beds, furniture. Wow. They would have AdSense ads. So that uh, if you didn't buy, they could still potentially monetize you from the AdSense Double side. whammy. Double whammy, like, right? And so there, I started to build my own content marketing, content farms in yeah, 2004, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: like building content around
1: high value keywords. That is technically blue ocean. So if you don't understand how keywords work, right? There's going to be keywords that are highly competitive. You know, like how to make money online. i luck trying to get number one on that. But if you're in a blue ocean where not a lot of people bid, you can easily get to the top, right? And yeah. then AdWords is the way to go.
0: Yeah, so like one of the popular ones at the time was uh, mesothelioma.
1: What is that? It's a, it's,
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a form of cancer that you get when you inhale asbestos. Wow. And, and you know, at the time, anytime someone clicked on your AdSense, so mm-hmm. I would write content about mesothelioma. Wow. Uh, just like, you know, Old for school days and days. SEO. SEO. <laughs> and then I would put AdSense. Right. And every time someone clicked on an ad, I would earn, like, 5 to $10. Shoot, yeah. wow. So and we, what was
1: the traffic like?
0: Uh, it, w- it wasn't a lot, but it was right. very high value, okay. right? Uh, so I built, like, maybe 50 different sites Shoot. Uh, from 2004 to 2005. Not all of them worked. Yeah. Um, I built one just uh, of cute puppy photos, from <laughs> 2004, to 2005, right? And I would put AdSense on it. Wow. And, you know, you know, I would I'd just make right, a few thousand right, right. dollars yeah. uh, hustling. And yeah. that's what I learned from Mercantilla Is this mm. notion of digital marketing AdWords arbitrage that, uh, AdSense And you know now it's, it's fairly common But back then it was still a relatively new thing
1: And then you yeah. jump ship To the mothership Which is Google How do you even get to Google That's, that's like I'm blown away Any ex-Googler Any ex-Facebook Like, like the blue chips of tech I have nothing but respect for, right? But how do you even get to that? Because everybody wants to want to get there, but, dude, yeah. you have to be creme de la creme to, to get there.
0: Uh, it was uh, So I was at Mercantile for maybe about a year, year and a half. Right. And then um, I think Google had IPO'd August 2004, so they were all over the news, okay. right? I wish I would have applied there directly after Berkeley, but I probably wouldn't have gotten in. Correct. And I remember the first time I applied to Google, I applied for a product manager job.
4: Mm. And that
0: interview was so fucking hard. Like, <laughs> okay, I wow. really felt like an idiot. Like, they were throwing all the brain, the, the, the puzzles. Got it. What, what are the questions that you still remember that I was like throwing at you? It's the one that I ask uh, people I interview today. Okay, which is? Um, all right, so I'm going to interview you right now, Rob. Okay, okay. Um, so, Rob, I'm nervous. Okay. Have you, uh, you've been on an airplane before, right? What was the last airplane ride that you, you took? Probably several months ago. Okay, now, where'd I you go? want to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, Jetstar. Jetstar. So going to Singapore. So that's probably an Airbus three twenty one, right? Yeah. So you know how big it is. Mm. How many ping pong balls do you think you can fit on that Airbus Air three twenty one? Uh fucking no idea.
1: No idea. How can I'm bad at math? So okay, I quit. Bye. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
0: so that that was like that was one. That was probably the easier. That's easy. That was easy. That was novice. There were some that I just felt like an
3: idiot.
1: Right. What were the right answers in those? There aren't any. They're
3: just trying to understand how convincing your BS is. Yeah. That's what that question is testing. And what does the early 2000s, right?
0: uh, Yeah, mid 2000s, 2004, 05, 06. So
1: your finesse skills, technically.
0: (laughs) So I think I was applying, I think, to the wrong roles. Right. And and I, I got traumatized by that interview. (laughs) <laughs> but then I, I, I probably spent the next six months still applying. So the way I, I, I got in is I just applied via the website. Mm. And then I applied for an AdWords role. Which I you already I, had experience on. I had some experience in. Mm. Um, and then uh, I applied. I went into the interviews. And then uh, took, it was about a six-month recruiting process. And then right. uh, they gave me an offer. Wow. So I just applied on the website. Did they ask you the ping pong ball,
1: ping pong ball question again? Uh, thankfully, they did okay. not. They did not. <laughs> That's so fucked up though. Like, I'm going to ask that. now. I'm going to copy that shit. Okay. Well, I'll use a different, I'll use a Jeep.
0: <laughs> you can do the Jeep. How many basketballs can you fit in the uh, Jeep? Oh, uh, there. Uh, boom.
4: Yeah, a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah,
1: correct. Okay. But for you, Dex, on on, on your end, um, while Paul was at around this time, this like 2006 07, you were doing several campaigns already. Like again, you were sitting in the county of San Francisco and whatnot. What were the skills you had to learn that helped you uh, for Caliber?
3: So Paul uh, mastered the hustle. I mastered right. the hassle. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hassle share! Shout yes. out to Pia Berna. <laughs> I was wor- <laughs> no, she, I was she
1: did a spin off. She's gonna do a podcast. It's called Hassle share. 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 Okay, I'll, I'll be her uh,
3: <laughs> season premiere. <laughs> Uh, the uh, So, I mean, I was working in policy and politics. I mean, what government does is it creates policies that helps uh, keep society stable, improve people's lives. Yeah. But the way that things get done, it's through politics. And that right. was the hassle. Like, yeah. how do you scare people, manipulate people, twist people into passing the policies that you want? And mm. I'm Filipino. You know, I know how to do all that stuff, but it's hard. Like, you know, right. I don't want to have to have to fight or organize uh, campaigns to to show leverage so that the policies that we want to push are the ones that get through. True. But one of the things that I learned, I mean, was two things. One is how do you move a big agenda and mm. how do you uh, understand all the angles, all the risks, all the places where you're going to get pushback, back and kind of work through all of those methodically. Got it. The second thing is actually very substantive towards what Calibre does now is that, the kind of policy i specialized in was workforce development policy so how do we organize how do we align education with the uh, jobs that are growing in uh, fast growing industries and how mm. do we match people to those jobs so when i uh, connected with paul uh, after after being jaded and mm. after getting really tired of working in a political environment mm. i came here to the philippines had dinner with paul here in manila Okay, and he told me what challenges he had as an employer in the Philippines. I was like, "Well, that's what I do." Right. So he's like, "Oh, let's let's figure something out."
1: Nice. But last question before we take our first break: You did your first business also, uh, right after? Was it right after Google? You did Open Access BPO. Yeah, it, and I I keep always uh, telling you this question: Without the BPO industry, this shit won't happen because I won't sound like this. I'll sound like a cool yeah. Riding, the, driving uh, the jeep. Oh. The,
0: the Philippines would be very different today if the BPO industry didn't happen. Absolutely, we,
1: we shit on it too much. But dude, yeah. this fucking built, this gave us a moat.
0: It, 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 right. it was the uh, resurgence of the Philippine economy. Yes, right. Because without that, like a lot of what we see today, a lot of the development ah. that we have today was seeded, you know, by the BPO True. industry. So uh, I started Google, I think. September, 2006, mm-hmm. I left Mercantile. I was there for about two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I'd park myself at Google for a bit, um, you know, make some money, mm-hmm. meet some smart people and try to figure out, you know, the hustle, right? What startup can I start, you know, come up with an idea. And, uh, about three months after I started Google, um, a friend of mine, Ben Davidowitz, okay. who I interned for as his first telemarketing agent. Oh, you did telemarketing. So telemarketing? That was my first hustle, bro. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the ultimate hustle. If you can telemarket, then you can kind of sell anything, Dude, right? Dude, you get cussed at at least 10 times a day. Uh, I got cussed at about 80 times a day. Oh, shit. Because we were calling rich white people, trying <laughs> to get them to uh, accept information about our investment fund. Oh, man. So I interned for him while I was at Berkeley. Yeah. And uh, he uh, was managing different call centers. Okay. Yeah. And he had the idea to start a call center in the Philippines, mm. and because I guess I impressed him as a, his intern, got it. And I was Filipino, he pitched me the idea to start a call center with him in the oh. Philippines. And oh. I was
1: prior to this, did you come back and forth here a lot? Because I mean, growing back, growing up, you know, there's a totally different dynamic,
0: yeah. right? Uh, I mean, I left here in '88, and okay. then I took one trip here in '92. And like uh, you'd go straight to Cavite, So you right. wouldn't even see like Makati yep. Then I, it was about 10 more years Before I came back And I came back in 2001 right. And in that trip uh, We went to Cavite again <laughs> But then like my family member Took me to Makati And specifically to Greenbelt oh. And I was like oh shit Like I didn't know the Philippines Looked like this Yeah. I didn't know that it looked modern And it right, had like right. these amenities down so, south it's all grass
1: <laughs> And trees <laughs> At that time Traffic Yep right. <laughs>
0: So it it seeded an idea in my head that there was something in the Philippines, right? Right. I didn't know what. I had no plan on coming back here. (laughs) But because Ben then kind of had this idea, Mm. I uh, had also spent some time in India with Mercantila. I saw Mm. what BPO was doing to that economy.
4: Got
2: it.
0: He pitched me the idea to basically co-found Open Access with him. Which is? um, Which is a BPO call center focused on Mm -hmm. bringing technology companies to Manila. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a week to decide. Uh, I said, I was only at Google for three months. He was like, I'm going to start this company. Let me know in a week whether or not you want (laughs) to join me. Right. So uh, it was a very kind of, uh, it was was a hard decision because I had just gotten there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was asking friends, you know, what should I do? And almost everyone said, you know. Uh, you shouldn't do it because, you know, what happens if you fail? Right. I had uh, one friend um, who, uh, her name is Sharon. She said, well, what if you succeed? What would it look like? I was like oh, shit.
1: So that's what pushed you to pushed jump me. over to Clint.
0: So uh, January 2007 how yeah. uh, every day Ben would uh, finish his job and then uh-huh. he'd drive over to Google and we'd uh, eat all the Google dinner food and then we would plan... <laughs> that's a hustle, by the way. Yeah. Right. We would plan uh, open access and then yeah. March of 2007, I quit Google. Right. Uh, a week later, I'm at Greenbelt 3 Makati Starbucks starting the call center.
1: Wow, that's amazing. But let's take our first break and when we come back, let's talk about that further and how you're how you were, you were able to now... Uh, lead that type of scale in terms of business and whatnot. But let's talk about that more after the break. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact 24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. And we're back from the break. We're still with our season three premiere. Woo! I'm going to keep applauding, bro. <laughs> this is what it is. We're still with Dex and Paul of Caliber. So prior to the break, Paul, you, you mentioned that um, you now did open access. And you only had like a week's uh, head start to get this done. This is fucking hard, you know. Because at the end of the day, yes, there's a Filipino community in the in, in Cali in Sanfo to Manila by the way that's his uh, uh, his uh, Twitter handle um, but it's still different from mainland Philippines right there um, what were the biggest adjustments that you had to make going the, going back here
0: the the biggest one uh, was uh, so this is about two or three months after uh, I land in Manila okay. so we have uh, open access right. uh, marketing. The only types of campaigns and clients that we could get were telemarketing campaigns yep. or appointment setting campaigns. No one would trust us with their customer service at the oh, time.
1: Oh, so all outbound.
0: All outbound. So very yeah. hard work. Um, yeah. And we had about 10 people and we were leasing seats from another call center. Okay. And uh, I think uh, it was around 3 a.m. So we were working throughout the night yep. um, and uh, uh, everyone went to lunch. Okay. And lunch then at uh, technically midnight. 3 a.m., yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yep. And then everyone to lunch, but 80% of the company never came back.
3: No way.
0: So we lost 80% of our staff uh, they during They bailed on
1: that same night.
0: They, they bailed on that same night. There was a mutiny that what night. What the fuck? And I think what I learned then is just because everyone in the Philippines speaks English doesn't mean that we're culturally the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, were actually you know quite different and so i had made the very naive assumption that you know because Mm -hmm. i was born here Mm -hmm. and because everyone spoke english Mm -hmm. that i could take my style and
1: western management approach and bring it to the philippines so how did you adjust from that point on because again that was a bitch slap uh sorry for the lack of better term but Yo, this is totally different because you had the American work, work, work mentality and, you know, suck it up, let's go, you know, but here there's so much more Asian shit that has to go through and, you know, people don't really think sometimes and they, whenever they think that there's, there's, since a lot of people are doing it, it must be right, which is totally wrong, right? That moral compass is a little weirded out sometimes, but um, how, how were you able to now combat that challenge?
0: Yeah, I mean uh I remember when I first like our first week uh, running the call center, one of the employees asked me to borrow money.
1: Oh, like, what the fuck. Go <laughs> yeah,
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: You don't do that in like right, in the US, right, right, right. right? But I guess here uh you do. Yeah. And then we obviously had that kind of issue with the mutiny. Mm-hmm. Um I think that it, we were very, very close to basically shutting down the company uh, at oh, that wow. time. Um, I had to jump on the phones mm-hmm. and be a call center agent. Um, oh, to you replace. did call us yourself? Wow! You, you, you got to do it. You know, yeah. you got to do the calls, right? Otherwise, right. your client's going to fire you. Yeah. Um, and I think then I began to learn how to adjust okay. uh, to the nuances of how to you know work with people in the Philippines, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Filipinos are they're we're, we're filled with heart. Super Because I think we're filled with the heart We're also very sensitive Mm. Right Uh, We can be quite emotional Yep Um, And uh, The way you say things Or what you say Has a dramatic effect On how someone can feel it
1: Or perceive it Actually Let me just segue Through this a bit And then this is the perfect thing Um, Before Kickstart this And I'll just go back to this asked you for advice. I remember this stuck with me so much and it was a total idiot. And this, this now resonates with me so much yeah. because I took it as a fucking local. I asked you, like, hey, Paul, uh, so we just got here in Kickstart and, you know, i uh, big, I thought we're, and I asked you, hey, can you, uh, intro me to some investors? And I was totally naive, fucking idiot, like, you know, mm. and almost verbatim, he told me, no, because your business model is flawed. And, uh, if I introd you now, it's gonna be against my reputation. What if you're not there yet? And I got fucking butthurt, bro. I and heard. I
0: heard you were talking shit for a
1: while. No, no. <laughs> I I know. I know. I did. And I, I I I always say this. I always say this because I took it as a fucking local. And hindsight, like, dude, that was a total idiot. Uh, I, I that was just real talk. What you did, and now look, looking back. I'm on the same boat. That if someone asks me for a hookup, you better be fucking ready because I'm sticking out my name with Your
0: reputation you. Reputation on the line, right?
1: Right. I'm not gonna intro some random schmucks, right? You gotta bring it. And you know but I did? What I did there was I used this as fuel because before, like, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show this guy, I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise legit funds, bro. And you and, did, yeah. And I did.
0: yeah. And, like, I mean, and that, you know, like. I didn't really know you uh, then. Right. But like, I really learned to respect you. Thank you. Because you are yeah. the fucking ultimate hustler. Thank you. Right. Thank you. From nothing to yeah. um, the app, mm-hmm. right, to chatbot.
1: Yeah. Uh, and now this. Yep. Thank respect. you. Respect. Red, thank you. So again, that's that's it. And you know, this hindsight, it's right. And that's what I think uh, we'll, us Filipinos need to get over that hump. <laughs> that it's beyond. If, you, if someone criticizes you or someone gives you real talk, get. Get outside of the, that emotional thing And zero in on the facts Because if you zero in Then that's where you actually learn Right Yeah, yeah. So sorry I just had to segue that yeah. in But because it was special to me And I, I credit I thank you for that actually Because without that real talk Then I, that's a big learning That yo If someone tells you straight up what it is let you have that pussy shit like you know don't don't don't, don't uh and, don't, and, and don't you know butter. trust me
0: like i've i've uh, i've been on the other side of many of those right, right. and it, it's painful mm. it's emotional you you want to cry you want to fuck someone yeah, up right? yeah. <laughs> but you know uh, i think if you kind of distill it to the facts right, right uh then i think you can use that as a drive
4: right yes.
1: to uh, prove them wrong and, and mm. prove you right Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So, going back. Um, sorry, there's a super segue right there, but yeah that was the perfect time to say that. So, thank you, Caliber. Is that the
3: reason why we uh, didn't talk until this year? No, we uh, <laughs> we were
1: talking for a while. We talked
3: <laughs> I keep asking for discounts. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Couldn't afford. Caliber is expensive. What when I get a
0: Facebook message from Ron, I'm like, ah, I know what Ron's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I need to build a team hall. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's always, <laughs> no, no, it's, it's it's hookups and whatnot, but. Um, so after this, well, how were you able to turn the corner? Um, because you did this for a while. Uh, yeah. Uh, 2007 to 2011, bro. That's four yeah. years.
0: Uh, we actually did it for five, five years, so seven yeah. to two, 2012. Yep. So it literally started with one employee. Um, and then by the time I left, I think we had probably seven or 800 mm-hmm. uh, employees. Wow. We never took on any investors. Everything was self funded. Mm-hmm. We went into massive credit card debt, um, mm-hmm. delayed, deferred salaries. And, like, I think one thing most people don't know is, like, from 07 to 09, I was probably making three to $500 a month, right, in wow. salary, right? So for those years, I would eat at 7-Eleven and eat those rice meals, like, every oh, day. wow, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and the way I actually survived okay. is I would go on Craigslist in the U.S. Yeah. And I would help people write their resumes. Wow. So I was a resume writer. I would charge people $50 to $100, to rewrite the resumes because I had a really good template. And, yep. you know, I think, uh, and yeah, that was my hustle, right? Nice. So I was running a so call side hustle. Side hustle while doing Side hustle right. because the company didn't, wasn't making enough to pay me uh, right. a living wage, the right?
1: <laughs> that's nothing, bro. What can't even, that's yeah. probably just rent. That's rent. it. Yeah. And,
0: um, and then I think the, the client that really began to turn things around was Mint.com.
1: Man. Yeah.
0: So they are uh, eventually acquired by Intuit. Got it. Um, uh, they started with two people with us, and then scaled to fifty. Mm. And then from there, we got a client called Friendster.
1: Oh, well, chef! So, so that, that was that's a real yeah. uh, that's a real um, track back right there. That's oh, yeah. awesome. So yeah.
0: what we did for Friendster is uh, we would look at about a million photos a day. Oh wow! We were looking for dick pics. <laughs> We're looking for things that would offend your mom or dad. We were doing oh, wow. content and photo moderation. Wow. Uh, because there was no AI or machine learning right. to do that. It, it was, was manual. Uh, literally, like people in the Philippines manually scrubbing those photos. Yes. And, and
1: looking up the thousands of dick pics uh, out there. Hundreds, hundreds. And the <laughs> judgments and whatnot. The old ass <laughs> selfies with old cameras and whatnot. I'm curious. Now, after open access, how did you? You mentioned you, you met for dinner. Was this during open access time?
0: Yeah, I think uh, this is uh, 2011. Yeah. So you know by that time, I think we're you know we're doing okay. We have yep. a few hundred employees. Mm. We have a nice roster of of tech uh, companies that we're working with. Okay. Um, but I think I was starting to get the itch, uh, mm. to do something else. Mm. I, did, I was tired of working at night, right? Um, and we were at a kind of a scale where it was more operational than mm-hmm. it was entrepreneurial. Ah, I think also at that time, um, I began to, I think, see a difference in opinion with myself and my co-founders Got it. where they really just wanted to turn it into a lifestyle business. They were much older than me. Okay. They wanted to just be comfortable. Whereas I was in the prime of my career. Yeah. I really wanted to hustle harder. Yeah. Um, and, uh, while building open access, I was uh, a recruiter. Mm. Was a user of other job boards right. uh, that weren't very good. Yep, and also was interviewing a lot of uh, people and kind of understanding that wow, people from the Philippines graduate from college, but they don't really have any skills. Yep, right. They they weren't really employable for my entry level roles. True, um, and I was just kind of thinking about uh, this problem mm. um, and thinking of different ways to approach it. Mm. Um, and then uh, Dexter, I think, had reached out to me. Probably mid-2011. Uh, I mm-hmm. think he was giving me a heads up that he, he was going to begin traveling there you go. to Southeast Asia. I think he was in Vietnam. Okay. I think he was traveling all throughout the Philippines. Right, right. Um, Before... I think he had just gone through a life, major life event as yep. well. Got it. And then I think we had lunch. We had He visited the call center, I think, June or July 2011.
1: Okay.
0: And uh, I'll let him share that part of the story. Okay. But that, that dinner... Uh, was the catalyst uh, for
1: what now is Caliber. So what happened to that dinner? I mean, in, in that dinner. Uh, what happened to that dinner? <laughs> of course you finished the dinner. <laughs> what, what happened during that dinner, Dex? So
3: that's, that's exactly right. I, I, at that point in my career, uh, I was jaded um, with what was happening in politics in San Francisco. Okay. And I don't... Uh, actually, What Paul and I actually had the same course in, uh, in college. We studied okay. political economics, okay. uh, he, uh, which is essentially how underdeveloped economies become industrialized, become growing first world countries from third world to first world. That's what we study. Yes. And when I was traveling around Southeast Asia at that time, I was like, wow, look at what's happening in Vietnam. There's so much construction, so many businesses going up. The skyline's yeah. changing Singapore. My goodness. You know, I've never yeah. seen a city even that evolve. Right. Yeah. It was just everything so advanced and yeah. modern and high tech. When I, when what opened my eyes when I um, came to the Philippines for that part of the trip was that, oh my, the the Philippines is, it's getting its start too, right? Yeah. The 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 B, uh, BGC was just starting yep. to kind of get put up around then. Yep. The economy, it was just announced just right shortly thereafter that it was growing, like one of the fastest in the world. Mm. And I uh, met up with my buddy, Paul, mm. who's still my buddy after all these years. A good there you is. go. <laughs> mm. uh, at his uh, business. And it was uh, phenomenal. It was like uh, at, at this uh, uh, A plus uh, building on Makati, in Makati on Ayala Avenue. Mm-hmm. When I uh, walked through the halls uh, with Paul, people were calling him mm-hmm. Sir. And I'm like, whoa, this guy's a baller. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, yeah, a oh. Corner office, you know, and I'm like, there's something that's happening here, right? And right. You know, it's what he said. He he talked about uh, the challenges of just connecting with the right people, which is ironic because there's a lot of people here. Right. You know, a lot of people, particularly with a high literacy rate, high college graduation rate. Mm. A lot of the people who are applying for his call center, actually, you know, they they have college degrees, but maybe Mm. not the right kind of skills or the right kind of background or the right kind of experience. And, you know, when he expressed that challenge, it was just like, okay that's a very interesting problem to solve. Yeah, How do we match people the right kinds of jobs mm-hmm. at scale? And quite literally, I don't know if Paul has this napkin or I, but we literally scratched out oh, at dinner a wow. day, uh, what, what turned out to be Calibre. Nice. So
1: what was the first steps you guys did? Because, again, it's easy. Okay, you you're co-founders, but it isn't as easy as that, right? And now you're going to a tech play. What were, the, what were the early challenges and how were you able to uh, get enough traction to eventually, you know, uh, you know, i will get to Paymongo's flexing it so bad right now, but you ain't the, the, the first dudes. We got <laughs> we got the real OGs right here. <laughs> now I'm saying shout out to Francis Plasso We've had them here, too. Uh, it's very, very impressive. That guy's hustle. Yeah. But um, guys yeah, so are the OGs, the YC to represent the Philippines. But yeah. let's get to that. Let's go to how you built it first all the way to how you got into YC.
3: Well, right off the bat, I mean, it's a big problem. Yeah. What uh, the mistake that I think we made early on is that we tried to create a big solution mm. and we tried to scale this, uh, what we wanted to do to try to tackle so many different parts of this problem of
4: mm-hmm.
3: the, the talent marketplace, not working that uh, the people are not getting right in, uh, connected to the right job. Mm. Like we fell in love with the idea. Yes.
1: <laughs> classic startup mistake. My goodness. Okay. So, well, what, what was that like? like you, you said you fell in love with the idea. What did you try to build? Because I knew, you share this a lot, that you did a pivot some,
3: somehow. How What was the startup idea at first for Calibre? So uh, we wanted to leverage Paul's experience in the call center industry. So we okay. started to develop a pipeline for jobs and uh, into call centers. Got it. Now, what we had done then was we wanted to make this online. So we... Uh, built a marketing capability. Mm. Then we wanted to train uh, screen people. So we built assessment capability. Mm. Then we wanted to train people. So we built an e-learning capability and then we built software for employers to manage candidates. Okay. So the the problem with that is that that's five different business models. Exactly. That's five different unit economics, five and most importantly, five different uh, big categories of expense. Right now. Whereas we only got paid when somebody got hired, which is we only had one source of revenue, but yeah. five cost uh, cost categories. It. So very quickly, it, it it actually didn't take long to figure out that mm. this is not gonna scale. The, the Valley at the time was very influenced with these high growth, user growth stories. So above all else, growth was most important. 10% week on week growth. Uh, yep users, doesn't matter how much money you're making, there was enough money being flung around in the valley to sink into startups that were just growing. Got it. Well that's not the case in the Philippines. Nope. It's
1: it's a dry, arid land before. It's like
3: yeah, you're trying to squeeze you know, as much water out of the cactus, right?
1: Rather
3: than the <laughs> and going to hurt in the
1: process because there's a lot of spikes in between,
3: it, right? So, and that's that's I think the the conflict. So, as we, you know, Paul Paul uh, had the dream to get into white combinator, and he he realized that we applied, we got in, we're the first company in the Philippines. Shout first.
1: out again. Let's just put that out yeah. there: the first <laughs> PH company
3: <laughs> ever. And then it, yeah. it was actually the first time they um, accepted. International non-U.S. companies. No
1: way. Yeah. So, so there are two two things: Philippines, Philippines, and Asia too. Or not just the whole world. We're the first one in Southeast Asia. Yep. Yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah. Boom. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
0: And I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So uh, I think uh, Dexter, you moved. Uh, uh, you ended up moving full time October 2012. Yes, that's right. So um, up until then, so I, I guess we officially launched in January 2012. We're right. building this. Online learning, online training right, um, right. for BPO workers,
1: model. Mm. Um, and that was and, the idea that you pitched to YC. That's why you got in.
0: Uh, that was the uh, well. That was the idea that we pitched to YC. And around March 2012, right, okay. I'm, I'm working in an office in Makati. Okay. And then um, someone just randomly knocks on the door.
1: Okay, You know who it is? N- don't tell me it's Paul Graham. John Orrock. No way. Johnny O, what up? Johnny O, <laughs> right. founder
0: of Future Now Ventures. Right. Shout out, um, John. He, he had met my friend OJ because they were both in the Salesforce business right, and right. OJ was spending uh, some time with me in Manila mm-hmm. and uh, he was like, Hey, you know, my, my friend Paul is working on an interesting startup and John was like, I want to meet him. So he right. just comes to my office. He, uh, I guess, sees what we're, what, what we're building. Right. And then he's like, okay, I want to invest like just within like an that. hour. Right. Wow. And then he's like, um, what's your valuation? I was like, $3.3 million. <laughs> Wow! He's like, where'd you come, come up with that? So I was like, I worked it backwards with right. our revenue projections. He's like, okay, I'm in for
1: $100,000. No. <laughs> so, That's where this fundraising game really started with John.
3: John
0: okay. he He's the OG okay. uh, fundraiser. Shout out, John. And, J-O
3: is the OG. Yeah. J-O is yeah. the OG. <laughs> so
0: within a, a, a month, April okay. uh, 2012, he, uh, he gave me $100,000 with no paperwork. No way! Like you just put a hundred thousand dollars into the bank. No, nothing. Nothing.
1: <laughs> wow! <laughs> you just put some money in. Well, that's scary. That I made that mistake too, but with a with the other investors, which kind of came out to bite me back in the it ass. It is scary.
0: Uh, but you know, you're kind of naive at the time. You're yep. like, oh shit! Someone just gave you a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And then a month after that, uh, this guy uh, named uh, Christian Bessler.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Um, he's trying, there to, find go. <laughs> he's trying to find scary. me. we go. He's trying to find me. Scary. Okay. <laughs> he's trying to find me. Um and. Uh, he eventually finds me, connects with me. Uh-huh. And then uh, I think around September, Got it. we then also get an investment from Kickstart. And but
4: how
1: think- was that process like? Because Kickstart also put a lot of structure. I learned so many uh, learnings about the startup grind and how to properly cap tables, projections, term yeah. sheets and everything, Minnet yeah. and everybody else, Dan, Christian, everybody in Kickstart really taught me that. I grew yeah. up. I I, I understood the real startup hustle through that process. What was that for you guys?
0: Uh, you know uh, uh, very grateful that I had a couple friends um, in the Bay Area okay. Kyle Louie who we went to Berkeley with okay. uh, that were in tech they had he had just sold a company to Salesforce oh wow uh, he I think had uh, was about to become a VC so mm. people like that were very helpful in mm. kind of giving me the basic understanding of mm. how to do a pitch deck mm-hmm. what is a cap table how yep. do you do valuations, yeah. what Too is a diligence. convertible note due diligence right
1: yep. yeah, convertible notes you're one of the first dudes I learned after what the fuck is a convertible note? <laughs> and I had to like uh, say so. What's a the, there's a valuation cap, and now people throw it around loosely. Yeah,
0: Faruk, yeah, Faruk says I'm the king of. Com- Convertible notes. Because yep, I think we had like true. at one point, like 40 convertible notes. Yeah. No way.
4: <laughs> Which is not, at, at some point, it's not a good
3: thing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes. So, you know, we meet, I think, uh, Christian, uh, April or May of yeah. 2012. And I think by September, uh-huh. we, I remember Minette and uh, Dan, were you there like when they gave us the check? Yeah. The yeah. check
3: signing ceremony. Yeah. The check. Oh, there was a uh, ceremony. Yeah. I didn't get million pesos. Yeah. Globe <laughs> Tower. I think
0: they had uh, Tower? Ah, yes.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. I remember. It's We'll remember the picture right. so
0: um and then as soon as i got that i was like okay i need more money because you have a little bit of momentum and so yeah. i then spent a month uh, mm-hmm. in the valley uh, okay. kyle and a few friends had lined up a, a bunch mm-hmm. of meetings for me mm-hmm. um i had uh i had known about yc yeah. but didn't think that we had a chance yeah. right um and in the one month kind of road show in the valley i probably had 40 meetings wow. and like 40 rejections Wow, right. um, And one of the meetings ended up uh, being with Sam Altman, Wow, who at the time, his startup was acquired by Green Dot. Um, yes. And, you know, it was like a 30 minute meeting. He talks okay. super fast. Right. He's like a he's like a machine. Right. You should and record
4: he, those and, conversations. <laughs> and he's wow. like, you know,
0: I think what you're doing is interesting. Okay. I can't invest because I invested in something else. Okay. But maybe you should apply to YC. Mm. And so this is like mid October. Yeah. The deadline is two weeks uh, later. Oh God. Right. And then I, I told uh, Dexter uh, and an, another co founder of ours like, hey, I, I think uh, I'm going to apply to YC. Yeah. Um, long shot odds, right? Right, right. Um, right. And so we got to lose, right? We, yeah, we filled out the application, mm. and and part of the application, you have to do a a video of all of the founders, right? Oh, shoot. I was, I think, in the US. Dexter was in the Philippines. (laughs) Right. Danny, I think, may have been somewhere else, I think in Boston. Right. That's right. Right. He was at MIT. Right. And so I think we probably did one of the first videos where we had three separate videos that I stitched together. And rather than doing a one-minute video, I did a 30-minute video. Wow. (laughs)
4: Because I I, I was like,
0: there's no way we're going to get in, right? Right. But I'm just gonna. Might as well. <laughs> I'm just right. gonna go all out on the video, right? And then, um, you know, so of the like 40 or 50 meetings I had in the valley, like they were all initial rejections. But then two people called back. YC, what? and then Learn Capital, um, and they both ended up uh, investing.
1: That is amazing. That's awesome. Now, so, yeah. yeah, in that point, um, here's one thing that also. So you you got to YC. What were the key things you learned in YC? Because, again, again, shout shout out to uh, Francis Plaza of Paymongo. He he really itemized a lot of those things. For you guys, what are those things that you still uh, use today? Because those are like, you know, this is the holy grail of startups. You know, do things that don't scale, all these little things. But what
3: were those? Well, and that's the thing. It's like. Uh, we recently uncovered an email that Paul Graham had sent to us okay. uh, when we we're nearing the end of uh, the Y Combinator preparing it. for Demo Day, and it was like you said, um, we had he, he laid it down for us and forced us to to face hard facts. Okay, and what he said was is that what you guys are doing is so unusual in a, an area in a place that uh, very little people have exposure to. Okay, you guys need to create a strategy suited to an ugly duckling wow and like once i read that i'm like oh schmack <laughs> cuz what we were doing at that point was we were trying to buy our growth we we're yeah. trying to like essentially we're dumping a lot of money into marketing to get more users and then essentially the the mistake that we had made because we had misinterpreted advice was fill the top of your funnel right now the 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 thing that we should have also been doing was fixing the bottom of the funnel making sure that the conversion was right and that the unit economics could line up right and the reason why is because in the valley fill the top of the funnel works because there's a lot of money to fund that you can raise true, it the next round you can raise the next round just based mm-hmm. on your growth in the philippines you, you know you have to have you have to be a profitable business practically Correct. in order to raise money which is like why what
1: that's hard <laughs> That's very hard. So you know? people first of all, they don't fucking pay on time here, by the way. They right? don't pay
3: on time. And it's like, well, if, if I if I was profitable, what the heck do I need investors for? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I think that was that's what we had to do is we had to really understand uh what advice to take given the context that we were in. Why mm-hmm. combinator today mm-hmm. is actually much different because Back then, they had zero exposure to, to, to emerging markets. True, true. So all the advice that we were given was suited towards the valley. Yeah. But now, I think like in the Francis Plaza and kind of the more recent batches, right. they, they, they have a more of an awareness about China, about yep. emerging markets, mm-hmm. about uh, India and so, so, so on and so forth. Right. But the advice that we did uh, get uh, was a lot of exposure uh, to founders who just were fearless mm-hmm. And not afraid to fail. Definitely. So uh, the there were, you know, the the only required part of Y Combinator is they had to go to dinner with that with everyone on Tuesday night. Wow! And yep. like the dinners, like uh, the first dinner I went to was with the, the founders of Stripe.
1: You Stripe, know? And, yes, which
3: uh, eventually also invested in Paymongo as right. well. Right, right. Uh, and and it was it was it was a nineteen-year-old founder. True. And just fearless and trying to be uh, in growing. In having a just having a very simple business model, a uh, developer friendly payment system, yep, and just to work it. Correct. So I think for us, well, at least for me, uh, who was focused on operations then and uh, building the, the guts of the product, yep, was understanding the context is important mm-hmm. and just being fearless about uh, and not afraid to push product out and yeah. iterate it along the way.
1: Got it. But here's while you were show, uh, talk, talking to me, that you had a email exchange with, with uh, Paul Graham right one, one of the things that uh, Paul was showing me the exact same email right uh, it says here that it's very dangerous in startups to go off and build anything that takes more than a month that's scary and then one thing that really stuck out and which was I want to take on to the next is that I'm alarmed he said I quote I'm alarmed to hear you have money committed that's not in the bank yet if you only have two months runway you should be focusing on getting that money in the bank PG, end quote. And I kind of know where we're going because I'm looking at this this picture on your wall right now, right? Um, this is your OG team, right? Yes. Um, shout out to one of the better friends that I have it's, now. It's this
0: actually the second OG team. Oh, second OG yeah. team,
1: right? The, the first ones were Tom Blackman and yeah. whatnot, who's now again uh, in in in
4: uh, Zendesk. 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 right? Right.
1: You had to literally pivot and also rebuild your team that's right because and that's this that's the most amazing thing that I have mad props on you on because people sometimes can't recover from doing a total overhaul
0: (laughs) so you know we we finished YC right we are buying our growth Mm -hmm. right and then you know I think we were kind of sold on the fact that hey demo day is going to come and you're going to be able to get more money right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. And so we optimize everything for that demo day scenario. Yeah. And uh, it was actually a very depressing demo day for me. Because? Uh, no one committed.
1: Oh, my God. Right? And I,
0: I, would just, I was watching everyone, like, uh, the investors, you like know, an kind auction. Of, yeah, like yeah, gravitating to the startups that they liked and, like, no one really talked to us, right? And we actually had one uh, investor uh, from Plug and Play, uh, yep. that founder. Mm-hmm. He committed, but then he backed out, right? Ouch. Um, and so demo day was, uh, it was not a good demo day okay. because at the end of that, like we had no real commitments. Okay. We were about to run out of money. Two months, and I yep. think, you know, when this, yeah. this email from Paul Graham, you know, in May, uh, we were kind of faced with a decision. Okay. Um, do we just run out of money or die or wow. do we let half the company go
1: and pivot and that's the hard part because I've I've felt this, but I lost everything in Party File, yeah. dude. That was so gut wrenching. I still, it's like I always tell people like you don't have an idea what it feels like because probably it's the the closest experience that I have with it is grief, like yeah. when you lose a loved one, and that sticks with you forever. And it's the same, it's the same kind of pain that sticks with you. Right.
0: It's a, It was. Uh. You know. I still remember the day. You know. Because these were people that they gave their all. They did nothing wrong. Exactly. Right. That's they the did, hard part. They exactly. They they did nothing wrong. It was my fault. Yeah. Right. Uh, ultimately, as CEO, I'm accountable. Correct. And I had to stand up right there and basically say that you guys don't have a job anymore. Yeah. Party's and over. these people do. Right. That 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 yeah. Super that hard. Thing. Right. Um. So you know, but. If we had not made that decision, if those individuals did not make that sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, you know caliber would not be here today. Absolutely. Uh, and you know I think you know for for Tom, I, it's phenomenal to see how yeah, his, dude amazing his, his, his job, amazing <laughs> oh my job, God. right. Right. Uh, you know, Jake Go, even though Jake yeah. competes yep. with us now, right. <laughs> so good to Jake? shout out, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Um, right. Uh, all of the people that were there, I think, have ended up being like just phenomenal leaders, right? Entrepreneurs uh, in themselves, and right. you're rooting for them. You yes. can't really hate on them, no, no, si, no, not at know? all,
4: no.
3: right? Yeah, there's uh, some some still have hard feelings, which is we have we have to be honest, but a lot of them have come back over the years, right? And they have a home here. They have you know just to to kick it with us if they need right. help with something, right? Um, some people come. Have, ask us for advice And we're right. always
1: there And that's always hindsight You know it, Sometimes it just takes time Yeah Like, like, like what I had to uh, Have with you Like dude I was so hurt back then But in hindsight Man I get you now it, Sometimes it just takes The right age The right experiences Maturity And maturity That's it Right Absolutely Now let's take another break first And then we come back How are you able to now Turn the corner And you know Spade forward with other peeps But this is an amazing season premiere But let's talk about that more After the break <laughs> business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions, liberating your time for what truly really matters. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access a hashtag savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. Whether hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn Earn in flexible tenors with hashtag UNOBoost. And we're back with the final part of our season premiere for season three. And we're still with Paul and Dex of Caliber, along with the annoying Jackhammer in the background. Yes. <laughs> So if you're listening to this, that's that's not us farting. That's the jackhammer. <laughs> that's being. Uh, that's the the next door in their office here in Pub. Uh, that's why I think
3: it's, it's right. uh, the tribe theory hostel that's being put up.
1: Yeah, tribe theory. The startup house. You need to pay for this. You're ruining my recording, <laughs> huh? <laughs> I will charge you if you once you open, I'll come in there I like can connect
0: you to the founders. And okay.
1: And oh, you send pay the bill me. To them. You, you, there. Thank you. Five hundred thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. But okay. So for for you guys now. You turned the corner. You had to let that go. How were you able to rebuild?
0: Right. I, I don't think we turned the corner. That was the beginning of a very hard two years. Yeah, that okay. that
3: was facing the facts. This Got email it. and uh, Paul didn't scroll down, but the founders had a very hard conversation about what to do with the business. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I mentioned earlier we had several different business models. Got it. And the five ones. The right? five yeah. ones. Yeah. So we what we actually what our first move was was to slim down and focus on one of those five. Which was? At that time, we had focused on building assessments. Got it. Now, um, there was some promise because we had the call center industry association and other call centers who were interested in the technology that allowed them to assess online and uh, identify who to screen candidates. Mm. So we committed... On the basis of the interest about two or three key players, really big names in the industry, who actually had real commitment behind it. Okay. But what we realized then is that it still wasn't scalable from uh, the point of view mm. of being. It's a long sales cycle. Got it. Doing enterprise sales, pushing out a new product, competing against incumbents right. was really hard. Got it. And so while the actual the technology was great, mm-hmm. and actually the uh, the they had. Um, it made a big contribution towards solving the problem. What we then so we went through pivot one to slim down and focus. Mm. Then we had to focus. Then we what we did was we switched from assessments to building a matching marketplace. Got it. And that's when we started to get traction. That's, that's what I
1: love. True. And that and took I, about a year and a half. A year and a half to do. Dude, I love that shit because again, um, I'm working. I don't see the rubble anymore It's very highly targeted Yeah And whoever applies I know I have a high chance Of hiring that person
3: Yes Now you do Yeah And early days It's It was (laughs) Marketplace is one of the hardest things that you can build. (laughs) Yes, because you have to
1: supply, supply and demand, demand two sides, right? It's not like you know, oh, I'm just gonna create supply and wait for the demand. That's that's building something that nobody wants. Exactly. Or you know, and or you're gonna do demand and no supply, dude. That's scarcity
3: right there. What are you gonna do, right? So I remember actually the the second conversation Paul and I had about facing hard facts, was Paul said. Based on the trajectory you're going, this, uh, the SaaS assessment play is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to build a marketplace. Mm-hmm. At, at the beginning of that conversation, I was like, hell no, we got to commit to this. We're almost done. We got right. commitments. But by the end of that conversation, which is about 45 minutes, I are like, you know what? We got to build something that scales. Yep. Uh, we got to build something that has a lower barrier to entry for people, for companies and job yep. seekers to participate in. Yep. So uh, it took forty-five minutes, but at that point we were kind of conditioned. Okay, we know it's no longer kind of, uh, you know, moving a big uh, a big ship uh, right. to like a ninety-degree turn. Now it's about adjusting. Mm-hmm. So we still leverage the technology that we built there. Assessments are still a key part of our platform. Right. But what we've done was then we started to see the marketplace. No,
1: and that's true because now I have a heads up as an employer. I'm I'm coming in here as a user. I mean, as a a client, as a job poster. I forgot what a recruiter, whatever. I have a heads up if someone needs improvement, someone's excellent at it. I won't even shortlist you if I need, oop, there's a red flag. Oh, and here's one thing that I like. No shows. Oh, okay, interesting. When people... And do people do this a lot here in the Philippines? You apply, yeah. you get scheduled in an interview and you don't show up. Right. Like what the fuck? Right. Like you, you, <laughs> you, you, you waste my time. You commit and you can just say, no, I don't, I'm not going to show up. And then when people started, you flag
3: them as no show, then they start coming back. Hey, they don't yeah. flag. Because right.
0: on the existing platforms, there's no consequences for, for others. Yeah.
3: And that's, that's a really good example. Like, you know, from a product point of view, yeah. That that exists for every other platform in the Philippines, Job Street, LinkedIn, right, Monster right. at the time, mm-hmm. Career Builder. But because you know the discipline that we've built on the product team is listen to the user and solve their problems, yeah. Their their problems are where you will get success. Correct. We committed to that. You know, that led us to building that no-show feature. It also mm. led us to building a calendaring feature. Right. Um, so I think I you know, making the hard pivots, the big pivots. Was how we kind of ensured survival, yes. but the way that we ensured growth and kind of sustainability is making these small pivots in right. our product. But how this, do you
1: know that's a proper pivot to do? Because this is a lot of startups again would try to pivot out of with no proper structure, and uh, they pivoted. Sometimes they pivot into oblivion, right? Like, oh shit, you pivoted in the wrong way, or you're supposed to go right, you went left, you're fucked. Yeah. Right? How 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 do you do that?
3: Well, you know, I, I uh, Paul Paul. <laughs> There's there's a, a saying in Caliber, uh, my saying. Mm-hmm. Paul's the face of Caliber. Okay. I'm Caliber's ass. There you go. I stay in the office and do you know the mm. shit work. Paul, but you know Paul supplies the fuel, and I, I can't do that. I can't pitch. Right. Right. If I'm rejected forty times, uh, I, I'll turn into a terrorist. I mean, it's,
4: just, <laughs> it's,
3: not, it's just I'm not built for that. Um, but you know the the the, the first. So it, it comes down to principles. It comes down to principles. The first principle for us, uh, in addition to keeping to our mission of helping people find jobs, the second is being listen to your user, and not to build, not to fall in love with the idea, mm-hmm. fall in love with the problem. It's very early on. That's one of the things. So we were listening to what problems we needed to solve for users, mm-hmm. and you know, I think as we are data driven and trying to analyze, you know, what our growth theory is, is that we built it around. Specifically, what we felt our users needed. So, and Paul like kind of called it out very succinctly. Uh, with Caliber, you know, companies don't want to pay for software; they want not pay for advertising; they want to pay for uh, websites. They mm. want to pay for candidates. Right. So that's what we focused in on, and uh, we validated that with our users. You know, there's nothing else that was more important than getting the right user in front of them. Absolutely. The right candidate really. in, yes. in front of them. Yes. So that's what we zoomed in on, and. That's the, the, the center of our circle And we built around that
1: And because the opportunity cost is too much If I'm gonna interview random schmucks Like what I said I'm not trying to shit But if it's not a good fit Why the fuck do it? I'd rather be precise Than interview a hundred people Where I'm gonna hire out one and Or two you know, it's not mass, you know, it's exactly. also, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to waste my recruiter's time to do first first round interviews and with that five minutes, of, nope, this is a dud, I don't want to fucking do this, right, and
3: and that's it. And, you know, it's, a, there are easier things to build, and right. there's easier pathways there, and that's why uh, uh, Job Street got an early start, and Monster got an early start, is because they built, they focused on what was easy to build, throw yeah. volume at a Explorer. right but again what allowed us to pick the right pivot mm. is that we focused on listening to the user what it might not be apparent or might not be uh kind of slap you in the face mm. but if you listen to your users and you make that a habit of how you make decisions and yeah. you prioritize what's important to your user mm-hmm. then it'll it'll help you understand which direction to choose
1: absolutely and is there a structure though is there like because again it's easy to get feedback But sometimes some other startups would need a proper structure to create the next iteration to get that. Is is there something that you can share on how you create that structure to pivot?
3: Uh, Okay. Um, That's uh, a... Every every different company will do it differently, but there's one thing that must be the same. Okay, Don't try to solve the problem. Don't try to build a solution without understanding the problem. Boom. And... This is a mistake that was very expensive even for us to make. Yes. We actually brought out, uh, brought in sometimes consultants or sometimes we built things. And each and every time when we built a, a big solution without doing a root cause analysis, there's a lot of frameworks for that, Root cause analysis, retrospective, uh, understanding like your Nishikawa diagrams. Yeah. You have to go deep in understanding the contours of the problem. Yeah. So that way you can figure out uh, which way to go? So there's yeah, Nishikawa diagram recalls uh, analysis retrospectives analyzing your technology, your user needs, and then also the personas that you have in your business model. If you don't do that first, you don't. You should make absolutely no decisions without Rare. doing that. analysis. Shouldn't build
1: anything. Yes. Yes. So I'll have all those those, those things that Dexter shared. It's all going to be in the in the show notes and HustleShare.com. So okay, if you missed what it means, just go to HustleShare.com and look for, for that, so that you can always check. Don't worry, we will put references so that uh, you can also learn deeper. Okay, now you were able to pivot and whatnot. How are you? Were you able to rebuild the team, which is the most important thing? You lost your your half of the team and whatnot. You did a red sea parting how are you able to grow back the team to where it was? You had a big office, you had big staff now, right? And I don't know how many waves of people were you able to have before you got to this current uh, iteration. Uh, How was that like?
0: So when we, I think, did that pivot um, in the summer of 2013, we were about 30 people, and then we shrunk down to like 12 to 14, Wow. primarily engineers, uh, product designers. Mm -hmm. And then we were basically at that size of less than 20 Mm -hmm. from about mid-2013, until early 2015. Yeah, wow. Um, so we stayed lean, really. We stayed super lean. Yeah, uh, we just stayed at the uh, 55 kickstart and just yep. you know try to figure out you know how to get to product market fit. Mm-hmm. And I think once we uh, launched the marketplace, I think we launched it March 2015. That's right. Is when we began to then begin to build out the team, be, begin is. to build out our sales team. Mm-hmm. Begin to build out the marketing uh, function, Mm -hmm. and because we also operate our own recruiting platform, shouldn't be that hard to build. Absolutely,
1: you you actually have an unfair advantage (laughs) (laughs) in seeing who's the best of the best out there, right? But is there any other aside from what you see in terms of skill set? There's always intangibles, right? Right. Um, What do you look for in the team that you build? Because, like for me, in what one thing that I, regardless of what I see on Caliber. Character comes first I can teach you the skill Or you're going to Figure out the skill Eventually anyway As you go through Exposed to those opportunities What are those in, Intangibles that you Look for that That's a non-negotiable
3: Right So uh, now, now it's lunchtime So people are uh, microwaving okay. their stuff It's alright So again sh- <laughs>
1: This is no longer On Tribe Theory This is Calibre Who's going to yes. pay on Thank
3: the- you <laughs> Thank you folks okay. for, uh, Enjoy <laughs> no your problem. lunch The um, So So f- You know, Calibre, uh, we built uh, our team very, very focused. We have identified based on our culture and our principles and our values and what we want in the company, very specific things. Okay. Um, Now, based on who we are and what we do, we actually have a philosophy. It's it's, we hire people based on uh, their capabilities and what they can demonstrate. And we kind of don't care about where you come from. We don't Mm -hmm. care what school you went to, we don't care what what companies you came from. It's it's based on what you can demonstrate. Gotcha. Now, uh, secondly, what what are the things that we do look for? Um, We look for how quickly and how uh, how quickly and how committed people are to learning. Got it. So the assessments that we have actually test people's capability of. How quickly they, can they learn? For mm-hmm. a programmer, how quickly they, can they learn a new programming language and compile code in that language? Right. So, uh, and it's really hard, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't matter where you went to school. Right. It doesn't matter where you worked for before. Mm-hmm. But if you're able to pass this uh, uh, this assessment and go through our subsequent uh, technical interviews, right, uh, then you can get in. And what's interesting, we just um, we we've hired people without college degrees who turned wow. out to be Great talent, people who, you know, last year we hired uh, like an engineer who's uh, not trained as an engineer, he's an architect wow. designing buildings, probably the best dressed engineer that we have okay uh, you know and, <laughs> and not
1: throwing shade at the other engineers
3: but you got to step up
1: no your they did ad- ad- they'd admit it
3: you know they wear the free t-shirts from all the oh, yeah, go <laughs> <too. laughs> you know we've hired you know someone recently who she learned how to uh, code on pen and paper no because she what? didn't have a laptop you know and, and crazy uh, and her her uh her major in college was math right so wow. you, i think that philosophically i mean our, how we hire reflects our principles as a company And what we're trying to do We want to enable not just Caliber to do this We want to yeah. enable your company to do it And others How do you know what capabilities people have Beyond where they went to school Beyond Absolutely. where they worked Okay, now there's one thing That you guys are fucking amazing at And
1: Paul is a master I don't know any guy better than this Here in the Philippines In terms of fundraising Bruh, you taught me this game, and you inspired me a lot. Though I was hating in the early parts, but though I, I don't, I don't, I don't know anybody who actually gave me indirect advice that fundraising is a full time full time job, right? And you guys raise a ton of money, right? And now you generate a lot of money. So that's good. Oh, there's revenue, power there. Are, but how's your your mo in fundraising? Yeah, you you told me I never knew that story. That nobody talked to you in YC. But you're ever also able to generate that other funding from other people, like you know Paul Santos of WaveMaker and all these other big name, uh, the big name funds and whatnot. How are you able to generate that? and What's what takes a good fundraiser to do to be effective at it?
0: Well, I you know, I, we actually haven't announced most of the fundraising that we've done, right? Oh, wow. I think the last fundraising announcement that we made was probably in 2013. Yeah, and even time. then it was a very small announcement, you know, around YC. Okay. So I think to date we've raised $9 million. $9 uh, million.
1: million. Dollars. Yeah. Wow.
0: We're about to raise a Series B. Uh, that'll be announced uh, early Q1 okay. of next year. We won't knock you out, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, you know, to be able to, one, it's super hard to raise money as a Philippine startup, right? Uh, everyone um, uh, kind of discounts the Philippines. I, I, yep. You know, I always say that we get the Philippine discount because there hasn't been uh, a clear success story yep. from this market, right? It's very different than Indonesia, where you have four or five unicorns. Right, uh, the Philippines is still trying to produce its first kind of breakout hit. Real right? unicorn, nah. right? I mean. A real. Yeah.
1: Real. Okay, not we, shame, won't, we won't but, mention names. Okay, right? but I'm just saying in terms of the tech game per se, there's no unicorn yet. Pure no. tech. No. This is Dexter. I have no
3: idea what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, we,
0: we may not become the uh, billion-dollar unicorn, but we will become the uh, unicorn that impacts a billion people. Exactly. Right. Um, so I think to be able uh, to overcome some of these odds, mm. um, it really comes down to you know, what product are we have we built, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what sort of traction have mm-hmm. we been able to uh, generate and mm-hmm. what sort of metrics have we been able to produce? Got it. Um, you know, all I'm doing is telling a story yes, uh, and painting a vision, yeah. right? And, and getting someone's uh, mind to open up to the possibility of what Caliber can do. Mm-hmm. But once uh, they dig in, then it's all of the work that the team does, yes. right? It's the work of the product team, the engineering team, the sales team, I'm just there trying to open a door yep. uh, and get people excited. So I think Correct. if there's anything that I can do well, and it, I really root it down to what I did as a telemarketer. Yes. Because as a telemarketer, you're, you're just pitching, right? And you have a yep. very short amount of time to be able to get someone
1: interested and peaked. And right. also short amount of uh, short term memory because if you let that linger like what Dexter yeah. said if you linger those forty rejections yeah. you know, you're gonna turn into a terrorist boom yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know I mean and it's like you know I, I was I remember was like making five or six hundred calls a day right and yeah. it's like ninety eight percent rejection rate so you have to let it go correct uh, very very quickly um, so I think you know we've been able to do it because I think one. This is a big problem, mm-hmm. right? Everyone needs a great job. Every yeah. company needs to be able to hire great talent, yeah. and I think we have been able to demonstrate that uh, we are making an impact uh, on that problem. Yep. And you know, I guess the ability to storytell
4: mm. and
0: narrate, I think, is actually very critical because investors are hearing pitches all day long, yeah, right? And so I think if you have the ability to just tell, tell that story a little bit better than the other person, mm-hmm. then you have a shot at being able to kind of raise money from them. Is there a
1: hack though, like in their pitch deck that you want to see that, you know, that you want to zero in? Because of course the rest is storytelling, but there are a few most important slides in there that you got ha- to hammer down on. I mean, everyone
0: wants to see the hockey stick, right? Yeah. Um, so I think being able to demonstrate that hockey stick and ideally a hockey stick, stick driven by revenue yes. is a great hack if you can demonstrate strong unit economics, yep. that's an even kind of better uh, hack, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Your margins, technically, if you want to talk about, you know. If you talk
0: to Paul Santos, that's all he cares about. Yeah. What's your gross margin? Yeah, yeah. Right? and His
3: reputation has been built on that. He's now seen, he's uh, like a few years ago, he was seen as Mr. Single and Double, like, right. you know, the small wins. Yep, And he would literally say himself, fuck you. Yep, <laughs> Small one's a win. Absolutely. So and he's built now a reputation. He's widely regarded as one of the, the, the best investors the best, in Southeast Asia. Absolutely. And by the way, he, we've had him on the show just
1: a couple weeks back. If you want to right. learn the hustle of how Paul Santos was able to build his 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 whole whole hustle here, we've had him amazing, amazing story. Yeah. Um, okay, I have a question also. There's a flip side to fundraising, right? You get diluted. Right, and you know, at the end of the day, how do you make sure that you don't get shirked out? Because sometimes, yeah, I've seen this thing happen a lot. You gave up too much too early, and then now your cap table is fucked. You don't have equity. You know, at, at the end of the day, you don't have majority. At what point? How do you make sure you're not giving away too much too early? Don't raise money. <laughs> or don't. I mean, I think
0: the the advice that I give people now is don't raise money to prove out your idea. Mm. You only raise money once you have something that can begin to grow and scale with the money that you're going to raise. Right. I think the mistake that you know, we made and that you know, a lot of startups make is they raise money to figure out how do I get to product market fit. Or
3: if you raise money that early on, don't spend too much of it Yeah. Uh, uh, um, Growing. Yeah, uh, like trying to figure out, like, don't buy your growth. Exactly. Right. And that's that was our problem is we were trying to buy growth for something that was not going to, not going to be scalable in the end. Right. Right. And so I think you like what Paul said is you know lay your bets. Uh, uh, don't spend too much money until you get that product market fit and then when you do then you deploy the cash that you have
0: gotcha. and it's hard to have that discipline because the VCs just want you to grow 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 right right. right, that, right. that's their playbook spend, is, spend, spend. spend spend, the money grow right raise in 12 to 18 months right but you know I think the reality is um, most VCs probably should be in the business of helping the startups build a business mm. because very few VCs actually have the expertise and capability you know, like a Sequoia or an Andreessen where they can really provide the support right. for those types of businesses. Absolutely. A lot of VCs have never been operators. They've never been entrepreneurs. Correct. They're investing uh, based off of, you know, terms uh, of Excel sheets. Right. Right. I think they would probably be best uh, coaching and advising those startups to build real businesses rather than. Chase this inordinate growth That you know In the end May not be sustainable
1: And that's going back to Paul That's what actually Sets him apart Because he was an entrepreneur He gets the point yeah. Right And now he's in the VC side
3: of things That it's easier to bridge that gap Because he's been in that In those shoes Right exactly And I think that you know uh, This one uh, Facing hard facts about Is your You know Don't convince yourself That you have product market fit Because you have three customers That love you Yeah. Right? I think that you have to look at uh, you actually have to push, you have to have a hypothesis about where how your uh, your product uh, can get gain traction and you have to push the edges on uh, adoption. And yep. if you're not seeing kind of any uh, adoption beyond your early adopters, right. th- then you have to go back and kind of figure out like, okay, what to tweak about the product. You know? And, and, and there's the a lot end, of frameworks on how to do
1: that. Correct. And also one thing that I've learned through the years uh, that I, th- I think that applies to this more than acquisition, retention is key to yes. scale a business. Right, right. Because okay, you're acquiring you, but you're all you're paying for one night stands all the time. You want yes. that lifetime value. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That they want to stay with you forever. Yes. Right, and not ask the customer you, you want to take home to your mom. Correct. Yes. And not ask for the discounts from Calibro all the time. They hook me up. It's so expensive.
3: I can't do it. Right, but you know you. you I mean, we always take care of you, though. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, you. M- more importantly, Ron. Mm-hmm. The mo- the most expensive thing you can do is hire the wrong person. Oh my
1: god, I agree. I agree. It it it's expensive not just in payroll time. but also but opportunity cost and time and everything. Time. And morale. You, can, you can mess yeah. up your culture, you know, what it only takes one person uh, to pollute the pond. Yep. It it's 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 a big people don't take it lightly, and I had to go through that a little bit in chatbot a little bit lately. Um I had to rebuild. There's some bad eggs that went in. It didn't look like a bad egg at first, but boom! It's like shook the fucking company and whatnot. I had to restart again. But there's one thing I've learned again. Also, props to you. I learn. I always know that you know. I've been through worse. Yeah. Nothing goes worse than having to let half of the team go. Right. Right. I, I, we can rebuild, but I need to make sure. It's cleaned up.: Yeah, there's no more essence of you know bad, sh- bad juju in, the, in there. Okay, I have last few questions before we wrap this baby up, which is an amazing, amazing thing. You, you talk about facing the facts all the time. This is one of the hardest things a founder can go through, because it takes a lot of balls to get this done, but how do you say and state the facts and actually act on it? Some people would actually shy away and even drink their own Kool-Aid yes. when some exist and buy their own hype.
3: But how do you face the facts in order for you to take the right actions? So uh, this it comes down to how you build your working partnerships in the company because mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the the facts and the data, facts and data are useless right. if you don't actually have the commitment and the diverse points of view to. To challenge each other, right? Because anyone can spin a story with numbers. Yeah. Anyone can p- cherry pick uh, their favorite customers or their favorite statistics and just paint over and gloss over the real challenges. Yeah. So what's most important is, uh, like Paul and I, we actually have to, we 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 work well together. Right. And but we disagree a lot. Yep, and within
1: that room, that's why they're
3: locked in. They're they're locked in there, (laughs) right? And it's glass, so that people can see it pulls apart. No, Uh, no, but that's the thing: is that it's we disagree, but it's not disagreeable, Mm -hmm. right? We're trying to challenge each other, and we're uh, open hearted and we're open minded towards each other, uh, because we're we're at the end of the day, our goal is not to win over each other. Our goal is to win together. And we're trying to say, hey, have you considered this? But I'm seeing this. Don't do that. Okay, maybe I need to do this. You need to do that. Mm. Um, If you don't have that kind of commitment of uh, each challenging each other over the numbers, Mm. not based on trying to win, rather to try to make each other successful, then, then that's the foundation you can build upon. That's mm. what's going to be most important. That's what's going to uh, help you filter throughout the noise. Yeah,
0: and It's hard to do that because a True. lot of people just you know, they have their egos.
1: Correct. Right. And that's why there's vesting in law because you know people always want to, like, it happens all the time, fallouts happen and whatnot. And what I'm very impressed with is you stuck through this for a long time now. You know, people, again, people grow out of each other because life happens too and whatnot. But what's the secret in maintaining also? I mean, a, I mean, you mentioned it a little bit already. Maintaining a good co-foundership. Because, you know, aside from being upfront and seeing two things just to which to have a common goal, there's gotta be more to that. Because, again, people fall out. And I've seen so, so many startups also that, uh, they had the falling out. It, it was co-founder driven. And that's also one of the biggest reasons why startups fail falling out and whatnot. But you guys stuck through this. And it's amazing because without you two, it, and I'm pretty sure this won't happen w- without one or the other. It has to go through ways. Oh. Yeah, it, because this is not just the Paul Show or the Dexter Show. If someone is the hassle and someone is the hustle, it has to work both ways or it's not gonna work.
0: I think uh, for me, because I had started another company with co-founders yeah, and that uh, didn't end well, I think it taught me a lot about um, what I need to do to, I think, one, pick the right co-founder, and then uh, two, how to uh, really work with them. Because I didn't yeah. have a really good relationship with my one of my co-founders at uh, Open Access. Got like it. we were just kind of married together, got it. you know, and and we got married on the first day that we met, oh, right? Wow. So I think you know, being able to uh, have success with a co-founder. Uh, for me I think is driven by those experiences and yeah. I think a very kind of early commitment that Dexter and I made uh, to one another that I'm never going to do anything to screw you I'm never going to yeah. do anything to backstab you mm. if anyone is talking shit about you I'm going to tell you ASAP right yeah. and we're not going to jump off the ship right, right. Um, until we get to our destination absolutely so, and I think you know the the fact that we're, we're also kind of on a mission. Like we, mm-hmm. we genuinely love this problem, Absolutely, right? We love helping people get jobs. Mm-hmm. We, help, we love helping companies grow their businesses because they can find the talent on caliber, right? So I think the genuine appreciation for the problem and the mission that we're on,
4: mm-hmm.
0: I think allows us and allows me to gloss over those just minor disagreements, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to not let... Personal feelings or emotions or ego kind of get in the way of why we decided to do this in the
3: first place. Absolutely. Because we've both been on the receipt, like even in Cal, we know how hard it is. Yeah. And we've all been gravely wrong at some point. Yeah. So it just, it takes the, the kind of friction out of having these conversations. It's like kind of when you've gone through the trenches with someone together, it's yeah. like, you, you know, you, you. Your brother's the life. Yeah, exactly. Correct. And, you know, we, we actually added a, a third uh, a person to our executive team named Sanuk. Okay. He's a, he's a, our former uh, country manager in Indonesia. And okay. You know, he had built Indonesia, and it's it's kind of like we gave him a a, a, a small pittance of, uh, right. of seed funding, and he right. was able to Just take over it. that market. Wow. And um, but his challenge was he was by himself. Yeah. Um, uh, not to air, kind of yeah, it's not not unknown. He actually wanted to leave the company because I think wow. what I realized, what we realized, is that he felt he was fighting that entrepreneurial battle on his own, mm. and he he didn't have the benefit of having somebody there who is his partner and equal to encourage him and to challenge him, right? Mm. So it always felt like he was uh, uh, trying to do this alone. And mm. he he wanted to leave, but then once we kind of, you know, we, we worked our relationship with him, and now he's actually promoted. He's actually now the, nice. he's, he has my old title, chief operating officer. Now wow. I'm the chief product officer. Awesome, that's amazing. Now, okay, uh, I have a couple more questions uh,
1: in terms of... Uh, what would you change, if yeah? Again, this hypothetical in what in in that sense, knowing what you know now, what would you change in how you scale this and how you you're doing things now? I mean, just going back in hindsight, what would you have changed in 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 how you are scaling? But at the end of the day, we're we're you're where you're supposed to be. But if you had that chance, how would you change things, and what would that be? You know, the Philippines
0: is a hard market to start in.
4: Mm.
0: Uh, it 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 has many disadvantages
4: mm-hmm.
0: cartel like economy yeah uh, infrastructure isn't good mm. right dominant uh, existing player
4: mm-hmm.
0: um it's not something that i would change but a lot of people have told me that if we had started caliber maybe in the u.s mm. we would have been uh more successful faster mm. um, because of the fact that we do have a very unique, differentiated approach Correct. to recruiting mm. in a market that would value that. I Correct. think in this market, we've had to do a lot of education, Yeah, a lot of just going against the inertia yep. right, uh, to be able to get to where we are today. So mm. I think uh, I wish the Philippines was was different right, yeah. and didn't provide these challenges. But I think at the same time, the Philippines is the challenges of the Philippines has given us the grit.
4: Absolutely. It's given us the resilience. It's, yeah. it's
0: literally forged a company made from steel. And it's going to mm. be, I think very hard for anyone else to come in here Correct. and compete. Cause we've had one of your homies compete with us, right? Who? Oh. Forgot, but yeah, okay.
4: I don't what even remember. Sad, then, started, ah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. From yeah all yeah, the, all the noise that. in the office just you know, went quiet. Oh, you know, uh, someone, that else, someone else coming like, in and thinking this is oh, just an easy game,
1: right? right. right. No, no, true, it's true. hard, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And it's, dude, it's not a cakewalk until you go into the line of fire, right? And this is like, holy shit, this is this is not what I thought it was, right? And you know, and you guys, again, um, that's what you have changed, with, dude. You guys are doing an amazing job here. And uh, again, I'm, I'm a user. I'm, a, uh, I'm very happy because I'm able to build teams in your platform. Okay, now um, in terms of asking for advice, we can't figure it out alone sometimes. Whatever how much you fucking discuss shit within that room... There's gotta be a stalemate at one point or the other, and you need outside of advice. Who do you look for advice from, and what are those advice you ask from them, and how do you make sure that it you you because sometimes advice doesn't make sense, so you have to take a grain of salt, and that's also it takes time for for people to, and maturity to get that because some people just get discouraged by it, like fuck, why are you asking me to fucking shut everything down and whatnot, right? But you have to take it with a grain of salt. For you guys, what, what's that process like? And who do you ask for advice from?
3: Well, let me start with uh, what not to do. Okay, let's do that. Okay, so what not to do. To take advice from amazingly smart people, but not think through how it, to apply it to your own situation. Let me give you an example. Okay. Let's go back to Paul Graham. Yeah. The, the advice that he gave in that email was great. It forced us to face the facts. Okay. He also gave us bad advice. Which is so the story that I remember is that uh, in Palo Alto we actually uh, were based there for a bit. Okay. He was crossing the street coming out of a Starbucks and he saw our Paul Paul Rivera. Okay, and Paul Graham yells across the street, "Paul!" And Paul turns over. It's Paul Graham. So the Paul, Paul Graham. And Paul <laughs> yeah, and he says, "You have to change your name." We're like, "What? You can't go go to Demo Day uh, as Caliber." Paul's like, "Why? It's because you have." Two deviations from the real word, and then you went through examples of other companies who like Flickr yeah. and, uh, and others uh, with the double R and the, the K, that uh, if we don't change our name, you are doomed to face uh, uh, not enough traction, right? Mm. And so to be honest with you, we actually, on demo day at YC, we changed our name. Oh. We didn't pitch as Caliber. You pitch as? Skillnova what <laughs> exactly <laughs> fucking terrible name <laughs> and i remember like paul graham sat with us at the next dinner and he's like he like opened the laptop and said we're gonna find you a new name right now and we went to to domain dot uh, com and he was sitting there he the me paul, it was like the principal's office we're gonna fix this right now so i think that you know it's an example and we got um uh, there's no sage that's going to solve your problem yeah. with a silver bullet piece of advice, mm. and it doesn't matter if that person is the most respected person in your field. Right. Right. So beware of the gurus. That's that's the first piece of advice. The second is, we actually are in the habit of going out and soliciting advice. Uh, your board, if they don't give you advice that's useful and practical, yeah. and covers it a, either a technical. Uh, deficiency or yeah. um, a, a business deficiency, then they shouldn't be on your board. True. Um, uh, money is not. Nobody should be able to buy their way onto a board, or at least the bo- the boards who are just there for the money are not the ones who are the most useful. Correct. We have built advisory boards, okay, to support us as founders, okay, and then we've built um, boards of uh, mentors to who we compensate. To actually coach our staff, uh, one of the wow. key, key things that you know, the, one of the hard facts that we had to face in the Philippines is we had a lot of raw talent, but a, not a lot of experience with the uh, newer technologies, the newer techniques, the the mindset. So we actually, you know, we we brought in a mentor to help us with our marketing team. We brought in a mentor to help me and the design team really build our design philosophy. Got it. And I think that uh, you it. It has to be a discipline. Don't, don't try to get advice to kind of satisfy that insecurity that you have. True. In some ways, the advice will make you... you to vindicate yourself, like, exactly. okay, I'm doing the right thing. Exactly. Right. You have to ask very specific questions, and you can't put it on them to solve your problem. Gotcha. You just give them, like, ask for the perspective and their experience, but then you have to navigate that on your own.
1: Okay. Last uh, question. and uh, last Second to the last question. How do you maintain the fire? Because you, we go through ebbs and flows and like, fuck this. They're, they're going to be it's like, fuck this shit. They're going to be like, yeah, it's so amazing. And then they said fuck the shit again. And how do you maintain that, you know, you don't just fucking, you know, tune out like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore.
0: Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, there, I think, are a lot of easier ways to make money and to hustle. Absolutely. Um, but, you know. Be on the beach, chill. <laughs> you know, so I think it's the advice that I give to, to uh, founders and entrepreneurs is you really have to love the problem. Mm-hmm. because it's gonna get hard it's gonna get harder than you can imagine mm-hmm. and if you don't genuinely love the problem that you're solving you're gonna quit at the first or second instance when it gets hard Yep. So I think that's one and then second like you know what fires me up is when I see the team because mm-hmm. even though it's like it's personally hard for me it's hard you may think you know people think oh you've raised all of this money but they don't know how, how difficult it is right you know how how often I, I get rejected yeah but when I you know look around and I see people, just passionately working on the platform, right. talking you feed to our, off of that. that. You feed off of that. Yeah. When, I, when I meet people on the street and like, oh, you started Calibre. I got my job there. Yes. Right? Or, Boom. you know, you uh, hearing customers and yeah. say like, I, I built my team there. That's all the fire I need. Yeah. Right. Because it means like we're doing uh, the right thing. Like we're fulfilling kind of the vision and, and the mission mm. and kind of all of these challenges are, it's part of the journey. So I think I just learn to enjoy the ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs. And just, I try to moderate my emotions, you know, through exercise, sauna, meditation, so that, you know, it it never gets too high or never gets too low.
1: Got it. All right. Now, last question. What's your advice for the community? You've seen this community transform now. There's more noise, a lot of newbies and whatnot. There's the Here's what I actually learned over the, the years, that the, the silent people are the ones who are hustling hard. Uh, I'm, I'm an exception because I make noise a lot because I'm in the media fucking business now, so I have to make noise, right? But um, the ones that are really just not in the events, they're not present there, they're fucking doing some amazing shit for sure. But what's your message for the ecosystem given what you see now and there's a lot, of, a lot more promise, in, in, you know, but not quite. But what do you guys see?
0: Um, I think my biggest is, is if you're going to do a startup, right. One, you have to love the problem. Yeah. Uh, two, ideally you should have a PhD level understanding mm. of the problem and, you know, PhD level, because as a PhD, you come up with a new concept Correct. and you only come up with that new concept because you understand that problem so deeply. Yeah. Third, be ready to put in 10 years.
1: 10 fucking years. It's not going to be overnight. So I assume. thought it was going to be
0: overnight. Two years, right. we get acquired, then we're done. Yeah. right. We're, we're in like year seven or eight. Yep. Right. In a couple more years, we will be an overnight success. Yep. So be ready to put in a decade of your life. It and starts
1: think, now. This is it in 2020, if you're listening to this. Year, it starts now. Great
0: year to start. Right? right. And I think, you know, the while I think the Philippines still isn't the most ideal, but yeah. it's gotten a lot better. You know, there are you know Ron has exited there's right? legislation legislation now. there's there's a few more active investors Correct. and still a lot of big meaningful problems uh, to solve super um and so i think if you can uh, care about the problem you understand it and you're ready to put in 10 years right you have a shot
1: absolutely Next, do you have any message for for, for the peeps in the community? Yeah, I think that's right. I
3: think that um, when Calibre first started, SaaS right. and cloud-based anything was mm-hmm. not readily adopted by B2B. Yeah. So there's two things to, to, to look out for. You can't build a business rejecting reality. Yeah. But in the next few years, I do think that there's going to be particularly around um, uh, payments, around... Uh, Commerce, even transportation, there's going to be more innovation. Space for innovation. Yeah, uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree with what Paul said. I think that if I was to give any advice um, in terms of getting off the ground here is, uh, or, or actually scaling a business, is to to really understand the problem before you make any decision. Correct. Again, the worst is and this is really expensive from from Caliber's point of views. We, right. when we believe experts, and when we didn't reflect on what was. Uh, the challenge either from a user point of view or a business point of view, we made the most expensive mistakes. Later. Absolutely.
1: Okay, guys, thank you very much. That was amazing. I could have said you. I couldn't think of a better uh, you know, guest to have on the show, not just to start my season three, but to start the year. I hope this inspires you on your ride for the rest of the year. This is the best way to start this one out. Okay, guys, before we go, what what's next for Calibre? I invite people over to try out and and, and look out after you.
3: What did they do? Ah, uh, we're gonna be. Uh Pushing out new products this year. Nice. And we're also going to be making some big announcements. Oh, sure. But I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let those come and do course.
1: Okay, I won't knock you out. Don't worry. But just tune out. And again, if you want to get Caliber, you have to just go to caliber.com and go to contact us. And we have a little promo code. Uh, put out hustle share in there in the comment section so that you can do that. And don't forget to follow us on whatever podcast app that you're listening to. And if we did say a lot of sh- jargon, which we did, go to the hustle show notes uh, so that you can see and you can learn deeper and that, that. and again if you want to get first tips on who we're going to have on the show check out the hustle share community on Facebook and lastly don't forget to message us on our chatbot on facebook.com or messenger.com slash hustle share powered by chatbot ph again Paul and Dex thank you very much thank you Ron alright and I'll see you That's guys awesome. in the next episode peace